Welcome to the sixth episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are college basketball and a preview of the NFL playoffs. Let's jump right in and start with a look back at some of last week's most significant college basketball games involving ranked teams. Last Saturday, Alabama beat number 7 Tennessee 71-63. Oklahoma upset number 9 West Virginia 75-71. And Oklahoma State upset number 13 Texas Tech 82-77 in overtime. Patrick, your thoughts on last Saturday's action? Uh, very interesting day. Three games that I honestly wasn't heavily tuned into because I saw three top 15 teams against, you know, three quality opponents, but not necessarily teams that should be beating them. And uh, very, very interesting week for Tennessee. They beat Missouri last week and then somehow lose to Alabama. Kind of kind of odd there, but Oklahoma has shown some good things all year, and West Virginia is going through some stuff, especially now losing one of their starting centers, Oscar Chibwe. Uh, maybe as a result of this game, who knows? He has... He's been gone for personal reasons, they say. Oklahoma State would be high in my bracketology, but they unfortunately have a postseason ban this year. They are wasting number one overall recruit and number one projected draft pick, Cade Cunningham's short one-year Oklahoma State career. Well, let's turn to Sunday's action that featured a couple of matchups between top 25 ranked teams, both in the Big Ten. Let's start with number 16, Michigan, beating number 19, Northwestern, 85-66 to in a game that wasn't that close. And number 21, Minnesota beat number 25, Ohio State, 77-60. Yeah, both of these teams actually end up playing each other later this week. We'll get to that later. But um, very good starts for these teams, especially in the Big Ten. Minnesota has pulled a few upsets that nobody expected them to do, same as Northwestern. But, you know, Michigan came out in this one and really put Northwestern, I think, in its place. I think they... Heard a lot of the hype for Northwestern's wins over Michigan State and Ohio State and wanted to put that all to rest. They at some point were up, I think, 33 or 35 in this game, so the final score being under a 20-point lead doesn't really indicate how much of a drubbing this was. But great play overall for Michigan. Uh, and then Minnesota just continuing their steady play, beating an Ohio State team that's been kind of up and down this season, even from half to half in certain games. But they come up... with come up with this win over a ranked team, and it's another quality win on Minnesota's resume. Let's turn to action on Tuesday where Mississippi State upset number 13 Missouri 78-63 in another matchup of ranked Big Ten teams. Number 23 Michigan State beat number 15 Rutgers 68-45, and number 19 Clemson beat NC State 74-70, but they had to take, uh, take it to overtime to do that. Your thoughts on Tuesday's action, Patrick? Yeah, I had said for a while, I don't know if I had shared it on this podcast, but you can see by my bracketology history, that Missouri was a little bit overrated for a few good wins in a row that they got. And uh, I don't think that their ranking that was, I think, all the way up to 12 at some point last week was very justified. I think when Tennessee came out and beat them last week, I wasn't surprised at all. But this one was a little surprising because Mississippi State, in their game before this, actually lost to the struggling 2-6 and six Kentucky team. So very, very surprising that this team rebounds from losing to one of the worst teams in the SEC, we think, to beat this ranked Missouri team. And it's really, it's not looking good for Missouri right now. They're, on, they're not on trending in the right direction whatsoever. Uh, on the other hand, Michigan State had won, had lost a few games in a row, and this is a turnaround game for them, holding Rutgers to just 45 points. And, I mean, 
Great all-around showing from them. Great defensive showing, especially on Ron Harper Jr. And they look to be maybe turning the corner this season. Uh, and then on the Clemson front, Clemson has had has been a little bit up and down. They started the season really, really hot, had a loss. And then they climbed their way back into the rankings with an ACC win. Now they beat this NC State team who only had one loss on the season and a win over North Carolina, a pretty highly regarded team that wasn't ranked yet. It did take them to overtime, and they were down in this game. But you know what? Good teams always find a way to win, and that's what Clemson did. Now let's go to, to a couple games on Wednesday night. Um, the aforementioned ranked Big Ten teams, Michigan and Minnesota, as Patrick alluded to, they met on Wednesday night. Number 10, Michigan, dismantled number 16, Minnesota, 82-57. to and Louisville upset number 19, Virginia Tech, 73-71. Uh, Michigan moved up from number 16 to number 10 this week. That ranking was justified, and Minnesota moved up from 21 to 16 before this game, or in between Sunday and Wednesday's games. Uh, maybe not looking so justified as of now because Michigan came out and dominated this game. Looked like a top 10 team against maybe not a top 25 team, to be quite honest. Maybe a team that should be just outside of it, but... A respected team nonetheless. Minnesota has pulled off upsets over Iowa this season and over Michigan State, so they definitely, based off of their resume, are a good team, but they did not look very good in this one. And what about Louisville uh, upsetting Virginia Tech? Yeah, Louisville comes into this game. They beat Kentucky a few weeks back. That's their biggest notable, I guess, in name game, but in reality they've had a few wins against better teams that are less known, and this is another one like that where, you know, it's not a major in-state rivalry game. But Virginia Tech is a very solid team. Uh, they've had some big wins this year themselves. They are supposed to be in the upper tier of the ACC, and Louisville's maybe trying to poke their head in there themselves. So let's uh, wrap up our look back at the last week with action from Thursday night. Number eight, Wisconsin survived a big scare against Indiana, 80-73. It took two overtimes for them to get that win. Colorado upset number 12, Oregon. 79-72, and another Pac-12 action not involving ranked teams, but involving a team that I think you think should be ranked based upon your bracketology. UCLA defeated Arizona State 81-75 in overtime. Yeah, number eight Wisconsin came into this game probably expecting to beat Indiana by definitely more than a two-overtime nail-biter game. Demetrik Trice had to send the game to overtime with a step back, and uh, I don't think they were really expecting Indiana to fight this well, but you know it's the Big Ten. Any team that's not really right at the bottom is pretty much going to fight you till the end. Um, in that Colorado-Oregon game, Colorado has been a team that has shown some good flashes. They have a great player, McKinley Wright, um, who is in Player of the Year award conversations. But, you know, all around as a team, they're not the, they're not supposed to be an upper-tier team, but Oregon is. Colorado gets this upset in this one and maybe shows that they're being slept on a little bit. And on the other hand, UCLA, who I've had above Oregon this entire season, and I guess the AP voters don't agree with me on that one, uh, they're unranked while Oregon's ranked 17th, but I've had them above them. Anyway, going to move on from me, my rankings, but... Uh, UCLA beat Arizona State, holding off another team that's supposed to be a contender. So I think those are just two important games to mention to show what that Pac-12 hierarchy looks like as of this as of this point in the season. And uh, who was your player of the week for last week's action? My player of the week is Demetric Trice from Wisconsin. He scored 21 points, had three rebounds, and seven assists in their win 
over Indiana and sent the game to overtime with his jumper, which is the all-important play. All right, well, check out Patrick's Bracketology that we've mentioned and his college basketball predictions and other predictions uh, for other games in other sports this weekend on our website at 4thand24.com. And now let's turn to a preview of the NFL playoffs, uh, which starts with a new Super Wild Card Weekend format. Uh, there are seven playoff teams in each conference, four division winners plus three wild cards, meaning there's an extra wild card this year with the number one seed in each conference getting a bye week, and they will play the lowest seeded team that wins in the first round. That means we have six playoff games in Wild Card Weekend with NFL triple headers both on Saturday and Sunday. With that overview, let's take a look at Super Wild Card Weekend in the AFC. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are the number one seed, so they have a bye. And first, let's talk about the matchup between number two Buffalo Bills, who host number seven Indianapolis Colts Saturday at 1.05 Eastern Time. Patrick, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think there's a general consensus out here that Indianapolis doesn't really have much of a chance in this one, and I can't really fault people for that. Uh, the Bills have the third most passing yards on the season, while Indy is ranked 14th in that category. Indianapolis's defense is a little better than Buffalo's, and they have two AP All-Pro players to show for that at linebacker and defensive tackle, that being Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner. But the problem for Indianapolis in this game is that a defensive tackle and a linebacker are mainly helping with their run defense, and they're not going to help out with the passing defense that much. And when you actually look closer at the stats, and as I just said, the Bills seem to have the worst defense in this game, but... The Colts look like they have a great defense on paper, but if you actually really dive deep into it, they have the second-best-ranked rushing defense, but their passing defense is ranked 20th. And with that problem that Indy has on that defense, well, Buffalo doesn't need to run the ball to be successful because they have Josh Allen, an MVP-caliber quarterback, and I just feel like the Bills might just come out with a game plan and literally just avoid the run entirely because they don't need to run. A, because their offense is not, that's not their strength. And B, Indiana, Indianapolis's defense is that, that is their strength. So what's the need to run for them in this game? I just think the Bills are going to rely on the pass. I think they're going to win this one 28-20 with a little bit of cold weather restricting the pass. Okay, let's uh, turn to number three, Pittsburgh, who... Host number six, Cleveland, Sunday at 8.15 Eastern Time. It's a rematch of last weekend's game in Cleveland, which the Browns won 24-22, but the Steelers were resting a ton of players. Yeah, I was going to cover that, that Cleveland just beat this team only by two points to secure the franchise's first playoff berth in 18 years. But what's the problem for Cleveland? It's what you just said. That win was against the Steelers team who rested a multitude of players on defense and on offense, and took some snap counts on some guys like Chase Claypool. And they, I mean, they st they didn't play Ben Roethlisberger. If, you're, if the other team doesn't play the starting quarterback and you expect them to lose to you in the playoffs, you have to hammer them without their starting quarterback. And the Browns only won that game by two points, and it did not look that convincing. Not to mention the fact that Cleveland won't have their head coach and play caller, who is single-handedly credited with turning around this team, Kevin Stefanski available in this game due to his positive COVID-19 test, and they also have a few defensive assistants missing. And not. And also, another note, uh, earlier in the season when these teams met up, the Steelers won 38-7 to in Pittsburgh without fans, which is the same situation that this game will be played in, rather than Cleveland's situation last week with some fans and, you know, some home 
some comfortability at home. But I think Cleveland's COVID-19 issues will hamper them in this game. I think they have upwards of 20 at this point players on the COVID list within the last three weeks. And, you know, I heard Marcus Spears talking about it on ESPN. Stefanski might be able to script a few plays in this game and have them going through the first quarter. But about after that, I think second, third, and fourth quarter, this team might look lost on offense without their signal caller. Pittsburgh's going to win this one. 30 to 24, probably with the comeback after going down in the first quarter. And in the final AFC matchup, number four Tennessee Titans host the number five Baltimore Ravens at 105 Eastern Time on Sunday. Yeah, this game has been an amazing matchup. The last two times they played, last time it was Tennessee in the play- last time in the playoffs, excuse me, it was Tennessee pulling off a huge upset over the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Tennessee came out of nowhere and somehow made the AFC Championship game last year. This year, which is the last meeting between these two teams, there was a 30-24 to overtime game with the Titans, with Derrick Henry sealing the win with a rushing touchdown in that overtime. Since that matchup, though, Baltimore has gone on a 5-1 and streak to end the season, actually winning the last five games after losing to Pittsburgh week after the Tennessee game. Meanwhile, Tennessee's defense has gotten demolished by the Browns and the Packers, the only playoff teams they've really played in that span, in Week 13 and Week 16, giving up 41 to the Browns and 40 to the Packers. And both of those teams had more than 440 total yards in those games and were able to have success running and passing, even for a Cleveland team that doesn't like to pass as much. They passed all over the Titans. For the Packers, who have Aaron Rodgers, the presumptive MVP, they ran all over the Titans and passed all over them, too. I just, it doesn't look too good for Tennessee on defense. And I think Baltimore will have a great game plan and just the right amount of defensive effort, and they'll win this game 28-24. Well, I am, I agree with you, uh, Buffalo and Pittsburgh, but I'm actually sticking with the home underdog Titans, even though they're the higher-seeded team playing at home. I'm going to stick with them, uh, take them to pull the upset and eliminate the Ravens for the second year in a row. Um, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, Patrick, with that as a background, um, who are your Super Bowl contenders from the AFC? Well, I think the first one is obvious. It's got to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Anytime you're you're a defending champion and you go into the playoffs as the one seed, you're going to be the favorite to win the whole thing. I think Patrick Mahomes is amazing. Obviously, who doesn't? I mean, this team is just loaded at every position. The best tight end in the league, arguably the best receiver, at least a top three receiver, arguably the best quarterback in the league, a great offensive line. And last year, their struggle was their defense. And this year, I would say that defense is at least middle of the pack. And when you have this much firepower on offense, that's really all you need. On the other hand, the two seed in this in the AFC, the Bills have a very similar team to the Chiefs. They have two weapons, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs, that were both within the AP All-Pro first and second teams. Stephon Diggs making it along with Tyreek Hill in the receiving group there. And Josh Allen actually received the same amount of votes for all, all pro, AP All-Pro first team as Patrick Mahomes did. So, you know, the Bills are built in a, in a similar way, though. I would still have the Chiefs ahead of them because I think their defense is just a little bit better and that experience difference from Patrick Mahomes to Josh Allen might make a big difference. But I do have a dark horse contender, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. And the reason is they have been playing so well towards the end of the season. The old mantra, defense wins championships, rings true with this team. That's been Baltimore's identity for decades now. Their success is predicated off of this defense. 
They have a Super Bowl-leading head coach, and I just think that they have the culture, and I think that last year's disappointment will fuel them, and they might have a chance to run through this playoff bracket like the Tennessee Titans did last year, and they might surprise some people. Uh, I've got to say in the AFC, from my perspective, it's Kansas City and everybody else. I know how hard it is to repeat, but uh, they're just loaded, so loaded on offense, and as you said, have a much improved defense. So I see it's the Chiefs and a bunch of very, very, very good teams at a little little lower of a notch below them. Now let's move to NFC Super Wild Card Weekend Action. The Green Bay Packers do not play. They're the number one seed in the NFC. So the first uh, game we'll take a look at is the number two New Orleans Saints hosting the number seven seed of Chicago Bears Sunday at 4.40 Eastern Time. Yeah, Drew Brees looked shaky in his first game back from injury a few weeks ago. However, in the last game of the season, albeit against the Panthers, he looked amazing, throwing for three touchdowns. Uh, The offense produced 33 points total, and the defense held the Panthers to just seven points, showing how balanced and complete this Saints team is, I think maybe the most complete in the NFC. Um, whereas the Bears will have a lot of pressure on their defense to hold the Saints down. You know, the Bears' offense has been getting some hype since gaining Mitch Trubisky back again, uh, scoring 30 points in four straight games at the end of the season uh, before their game against the Packers last week. But unfortunately, those games were against weak opponents, and when they ran into the Packers, who really only have an average defense, they were A, unable to stop the Packers' offense, giving up 35 points, And they were not able to solve their defense, and they only scored 16 points in that game themselves. And the Saints' defense has played better than the Packers' defense all season, which means that the Saints should be pretty much stopping the Bears in their tracks pretty easily. And I think they'll use that more balanced and experienced roster with Drew Brees instead of Mitch Trubisky to win, I think, about 31-20. All right, let's turn our attention to the number three-seeded Seattle Seahawks hosting the number six-seeded Los Angeles Rams Saturday at 4.40 Eastern Time. In the previous matchups this season between these two divisional rivals, there were two very different stories. In Week 10, the Rams won at home 23-16. Russell Wilson threw two interceptions in that game. And then in Week 16, the Seahawks won at home 20-9. The Rams, I think the story in this game is going to be how much do their players contribute that are coming off of injuries or COVID or whatever. All the returning players, how much do they contribute? Because most of these guys were here in the Week 10 game, and some of them weren't in the Week 16 game, and that might have contributed to their loss. They will be getting left tackle Andrew Whitworth back off of IR. They will be getting Cooper Cup and Michael Brockers, the defensive tackle and uh, wide receiver, off of the COVID list. They are getting them back. And could possibly get starting quarterback Jared Goff and midseason tackles leader on the team linebacker Micah Kaiser back from their injuries. They are currently listed as questionable from the official injury report. Meanwhile, on the Seahawks side, they have some injuries of their own. Defensive tackle Jaron Reed and corner Shaquille Griffin are also listed as questionable. But I think the the Rams, this addition of Andrew Whitworth back into the lineup, makes them so different, and it will help them establish the run, which is something that they really struggled with late in the season. It felt like they were just bashing their head against a brick wall trying to run against every team they played, including even the New York Jets. The Rams also have the the number one total defense and points-per-game defense in the NFL to help mitigate Russell Wilson and that high-powered Seattle offense. And I think, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm trying not to be biased, I honestly think that the Rams with these additions will kind of repeat what happened in Week 10, maybe minus a few Russell Wilson turnovers, 
And I think they'll win this game by establishing the run and maybe having some new tweaks in their game plan that they saw in Week 16, having some more success in the red zone. And I think I think they're going to win this game 24-20. to Wow, big upset pick there, especially without a healthy starting quarterback. Uh, let's turn to the last game, number five, Tampa Bay Bucks at the number four Washington football team, Saturday at 8.15 Eastern time. Yeah, there are great units on both sides of this game, but uh, maybe some less complete teams compared to some of the powerhouses in the NFC. Tampa Bay has a great passing attack with their quarterback and their weapons, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown around Tom Brady is very, very scary for any defense. But if Washington's front four could get to him early, that might be their only chance of winning this game is really rushing the passer effectively, rushing Tom Brady's throws a little bit, trying to get him off schedule. That would kind of be their only outside chance of this game. I don't really see it happening. I mean, look, again, I said it already. Washington has an amazing front four. It's led by rookie Chase Young. But Tampa Bay has an even more amazing offense, and it's led by 43-year-old QB Tom Brady, who has been in the NFL for 21 years. That 20-year experience gap of star players might really make a big difference in this game. And I think especially because it's a playoff game, this is this will be Tom Brady trying to prove that last year might have been an anomaly in terms of his career of when he really had a bad performance in the playoffs last year. Though, as Bruce Arians noted, they are preparing for the quote-unquote 4-1 Washington, not the 7-9 Washington. The 4-1 Washington he is referencing is the record of the Washington football team when starting quarterback Alex Smith plays. Unfortunately, he is listed as questionable in this game, along with starting wide receiver and his favorite target, Terry McLaurin, and starting running back, Antonio Gibson. And just because of Tampa Bay being more healthy and, you know, they might be down Mike Evans in this game, he's also questionable, but I think he'll pull it out for the playoffs. I just think they're more healthy and way more experienced than the football team, and just the better weapons will overwhelm uh, Washington secondary. I have them winning this game 27-17. Well, I agree with you on every pick except your Rams upset. I went with no upsets here in the NFC with New Orleans, Seattle, and Tampa Bay, who is the number five seed, but they're actually favored in the game. Uh, winning those games uh, sets up an, some interesting matchups next week, which we which we will talk about in our next podcast, including an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady at Lambeau Field matchup for the right to play for the NFC Championship. If those uh, if those picks hold to fruition, uh, let's take a little bit of a step back, Patrick. Who are your NFC Super Bowl contenders? I mean, I really think every team in this conference can contend except for Washington and Chicago, to be quite honest. But I think my top two would be um, be the Packers and it would be Seattle, actually. I don't. I think that Seattle's offense is superior to the Saints' offense, and the way that they've been playing on defense recently actually gives them more of a complete team than they looked like early in the season where it was basically all... Russell Wilson outscoring the other team with having the defense in shambles behind him. Uh, But I think, you know, Seattle, I think, is my second contender. It's got to be the Packers that's the top contender. I mean, this team, Aaron Rodgers is playing out of his mind. This might be the best season of his career. 48 touchdowns to five interceptions. He's been dominating anybody you can throw at them. He beat the Saints earlier in the year, and I just think that that team, especially when you have teams from the West Coast and teams from Florida trying to head into, or even in New Orleans' case, from a dome, trying to head into Lambeau, that might make a huge difference. I mean, if anybody was watching the Packers against Tennessee, they scored 41 points in the snow when Aaron Rodgers didn't 
turn the ball over in that game. He can throw in any weather, whereas these guys don't play in that weather. Uh, it, 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 the weather might actually be the biggest factor in the Packers' uh, favor in this one, and it might be the thing that separates them from the other ones, but I think they're definitely the biggest contender here. And for me, I'm like the AFC where I think it's the Chiefs and everybody else, despite the fact that uh, you look at the AFC and say, wow, there's a ton of great teams here, a ton of Super Bowl contenders because everybody in the playoffs has an 11-5 and record. I actually think the NFC is wide open, and maybe that's because you have a plethora of experienced head coaches um, who've taken teams to Super Bowl. Everybody except the Packers and the Bears have uh, coaches who've taken their teams to Super Bowls, and then them paired with Super Bowl-caliber quarterbacks only the Bears uh, have, and the and, and Washington have a have a quarterback who hasn't taken their team to the to the Super Bowl, which means and Washington and Washington also has a quarterback who started the majority of a year for a Super Bowl team, but then got replaced by Colin Kaepernick. Actually, so there so, you I go. Mean, so you've got if you look at it that way, you've got four of the six teams in the NFC. Sorry, four of the seven, five of the seven teams in the NFC playoffs have a Super Bowl coach and a Super Bowl quarterback. So I think it's wide open. If I had to pick, um, I, I, my contenders are the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Saints. And if Jared Goff is healthy, i got to throw the Rams in there. I know I'm basically naming everybody and not even naming TB, Tampa Bay, with Tom Brady. Um, it, to me, the NFC is wide open. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that one. And also, I forgot my dark horse candidate. I'm not being biased. Yeah, I'm totally being biased. It's the Rams, of course. Who else would be the dark horse candidate? But obviously, got to throw Tom Brady some respect. I mean, you you can never name a Super Bowl contender list and not have a Tom Brady team on it as much as I don't think that this team is like the ones that he's had in New England. I think it still has enough to compete in an NFC that's wide open. And again, the Rams... Defense wins championships. They're number one in total defense. They're number one in points per game defense. If defense wins championships, this would be the year for the Rams to do it. Well, we will see how our NFL picks turned out in our next podcast, which will be on Monday, January 11th. We'll also uh, take a further look at some predictions for the NFL playoffs once the final bracket is set. Um, And in that podcast, we'll also recap the latest NBA action and provide a preview of the college football playoff championship game which will be that night, Monday, January 11th, between Alabama and Ohio State. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content and submit any topics you'd like to hear discussed on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. And thank you again for listening.